0: Please note, every episode is someone's individual experience. One data point is not representative of everyone's time in the Air Force. Do your due diligence. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or its components. Welcome to another episode of the AFSC series, a part of the For the Zoomies podcast, and I'm your host, Andrew Cormier. Today's guest is a 2007 Air Force Academy graduate who went on to become a contracting officer, serving as a procurement manager, deploying to both Iraq and Afghanistan. After separating, he continued in the procurement space at both Defense Contract Management Agency and U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. He currently serves as the head of operations at the state-compliant company, Mosey. Ladies and gentlemen, Eddie Ortiz.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Working on
0: this since, what was that, October or something last year? Yeah,
1: it's been a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We figured it out, though. (laughs) I mean, we're not in person, but we're still getting it done. All good. So to start things off, do you think you could take us through what brought you to the Academy initially?
1: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for me, it was being able to, to serve my country. Uh, you know, when I joined the Academy or was thinking about that 9-11 had just happened. Uh, and so for me, it was, uh, wanting to, you know, defend a- a- our citizens and, um, wanting to do something about that. I think the other piece was my father, um, was an air force enlisted member at the time and, he actually told me about the Air Force Academy, uh, and so I think between seeing what happened and knowing that there was this opportunity to go serve in uh, as a commissioned officer, that uh, that was definitely something I, I you know I had to try at least.
0: Mm-hmm. And how would you enjoy your time at the academy? Was it good, bad? Wish you could go back.
1: Oh, you know the deal—a little <laughs> bit of probably all of that. Um, you know the the the. Let's start with the good, right? I mean the the friendships that you forge here, uh, stay with you. Um, I think, I feel they're going to stay with me forever. Uh, and the other thing that, that, you know, you probably don't feel, uh, you don't see at the Academy when you're there that that ends up happening later is how other grads take care of you afterwards. So like at the Academy, you generally just kind of, you know, commingle with your, with your class. If you're an athlete, you, you may, you may do with some other classes, but like, for the most part, you're staying with your class and it's like, that's 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 how things are run.
2: Mm-hmm. But after
1: the academy, you know, uh, the the brother and sisterhood takes I, I feel it takes care of uh, of each other. So you end up meeting grads from other classes, and then you end up meeting uh, other grads from other service academies. Um, so I felt like the you know the the good pieces, the friendships, and uh, that you forge. I still have friends today, right, that are still serving, that are now uh, squadron commanders, and 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 all that uh, you know, all that good stuff, and you know, the, the bad is, is you feel like you're giving up a lot of, uh, of experience to, to life experience to be there. And I think it's important to like recognize that not to, not in a negative light, but just to say like, yeah, it is a sacrifice. I think, um, I think that's why it's important to understand that it's a sacrifice and promise yourself later that you'll go back and live that. Um, and, and um, we can talk a little more later in terms of like how I did that when I separated. Um, because you definitely want to honor that, it, you know, it, it completes your life. Mm. Um, and you know, and I would say overall, you know, I I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say like there, some of my best memories were, um, you know, I didn't spend any money to do to get that memory.
2: Mm-hmm. It was
1: it was it was there with 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 with, with my boys, with my brothers and sisters you know, having a good time going through something hard together and coming out clean on the other side.
0: So when you say sacrificing, um, like the thing that comes to my mind is like some of the life experiences, obviously, like, I don't know if you're referring to the the fun that most college kids usually have <laughs> in their twenties. But, um, I think some other things that I think about when I, I don't know, talk to my friends back home who chose a more traditional, um, college route is that, you know, they have bills to pay. They're not, you know, coddled by a military paycheck every month and on top of that is given food and housing yeah. for free basically and those are some things that i've kind of struggled with i'm like holy crap i've never really had true expenses in my life that's one thing that you know sure it's good to be protected but at the same time you're, you're missing out on that experience of like oh shit when i become a lieutenant i'm four years behind everyone else who has experience in getting Bills,
1: Yeah. Yeah. See, and I, and I, I hear that. Like I I felt kind of similarly, I I think at the time. Um, but I think it's, I think it's worth, um, you know, every cadet cutting themselves a little bit of slack in that sense, because like what you are, you're not getting the, those, those experiences, but they're being supplanted with this request for maturity at a time Mm. where like most, most of your friends don't have to exhibit that level of maturity Um, and because of that, you, I would say like you, you miss out on the, 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 the period of experimentation. What do I want to do with my life? Right. You don't get that. You already know what you're going to, going to do with your life. Right. And at least, at least a part of it. And so, you know, I found myself when I separated, like I felt like I was in my early twenties again, like I had just left the Academy, they having this whole new world. So even though my like high school friends or whatever you know were a certain age, I always felt like I, I still feel 10 years younger than mentally than all of them because because of that. Mm-hmm. To
0: get into your time in the Air Force, what mm-hmm. did contracting look like? I've spoken to you know higher up people in the in the contracting space, but it's more of like a, a very overarching look at contract and what does it look like as, um, you know, a junior officer?
1: Yeah. As a junior officer, um, you know, your first one to two years is spent learning the craft. So, um, you, you know, your job in short is to, uh, write and negotiate, uh, contracts, uh, on behalf of the air force with third-party vendors and companies, um, you do that at first at a base. Uh, and so they would call that base level contracting. And so you could be working on anything from like, hey, the, you know, this squadron needs tables and chairs. Go get them. And there's a process. There's an acquisition process uh, that, that we have to follow in order to go procure those things and to do so in a fair, uh, in a fair manner. And you, know, you go from buying tables and chairs to negotiating you know, l- larger base contracts like construction contracts. Hey, we need to widen the right turn lane to go from this street to this street on the base, go, Lieutenant, mm. like go, go, go take care of that. Um, and so, uh, your first, you know, your first go around is in base level contracting and you, you kind of, that's how you kind of get your foundation. And then, um, like many of the uh, career fellows, I'm, I'm sure there those, those career pyramids are kind of still around. Um, and you know, you kind of build on that foundation of, of base level contracting with more complex, um, contracts at that point.
0: Is there a tech school component or would you, or if there is, would you, do you, would you consider learning a lot at tech school or is it like a lot of on the job training?
1: Yeah. So you do, there is a tech school. Um, I think at, you know, at the time I was serving, it was in, uh, at Wright Pat in Dayton, Ohio. Um, and it was like, I want to say it was like six weeks, six to eight weeks, not a lot, not a lot of time Mm -hmm. to learn a a lot of stuff. And, uh, so it's going to be like, you know, kind of an intense amount of, of training, not a ton of it, but up, you know, up front and then followed by a ton of, uh, you know, OJT or on the job, you know, training. Um, but I feel like the Air Force has a great way of, of bringing, you know, contracting officers in in terms of, hey, you know, put pairing them with, you know, more senior folks that know how to do it. You, you kind of learn the trade that way uh, as well.
0: Mm. How did it look? when you were deployed?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, completely fucking different. <laughs> like <laughs> if I could drop an F-bomb <laughs> yeah, <you're all> good. <laughs> completely different, like throw all the training out the window. I mean, it, it, in a sense it was contracting, but in another sense, it was like, um, uh, amended, uh, uh contracting or, am- or an amended job. It was like, Hey, take what you know about this job that you've learned for the last couple of years. You're going to need some of it. A lot of it is is not going to be relevant. And really, what we're going to need to access is is the stuff that you know you know cadets are using every day. And that's those are those critical thinking skills that those like think on your feet. How do I just solve this problem? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how do I define what that problem is? What are the variables? You know how do I solve it? And how do I do that in a way that's 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 fast, economical, safe, legal, etc.
0: Yeah, so I guess when I when I think of this I think of all the probably legal hoops that you have to jump through on the state side when you're trying to yep. spend the government's money but when you're you know in a, a different country where I'm assuming you have to abide by different rules and you're not necessarily yeah. like if you you have to buy like something for I don't know, your fob or something, you go to some Afghani vendor. and
1: Yeah, so there's definitely different, yeah, to, to your point, there's definitely different roles. Um, a, a lot of them are, are, are meant to cut out the red tape. So, like, if you were to ask me, like, what was your favorite experience? Like, what was your favorite contracting experience? Mm. It was definitely, like, deployment contracting because it was a little bit more fast-paced. It was, like, cut out a lot of the red tape, um, allowed for more creativity to get mm-hmm. things done versus coming back stateside. There's the federal acquisition and regulation, the FAR that governs everything, and like there, it's really hard to get around some of these things in, in a meaning, you know, in a way that you know it, it, to ensure that you're like doing things the right way. Versus over there, um, you know, yes, there's 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 bottom line requirements to meet, but you could also get creative in meeting them.
0: Do you think you give an example of, you know, one thing and that you had to buy while you were deployed and how it went down?
1: Yeah. Um, I, what's a good example. I would say like a good example would be, um, when I was deployed to Iraq, uh, my, my main role was to upkeep Uh, what was called uh, base life services, BLS base life services on the particular um, fob I was assigned to. And the contract that dictated that was a pretty like huge monstrosity of a contract, but it also gave like uh, contracting officers some teeth in a sense that if there was something that they needed to do that wasn't already paid for by the contract, they could do you know, change orders and add to the, to, to it, uh, where, you know, we would obligate the government in a sense to get something done, or they can do something, uh, that was like basically a a no cost change order, um, or what they called a letter of technical direction at that time. And so stateside, it's important to pay your contractor for any work done, even if and it gets really muddy if, like, the, the contractor does a level of work that let, – let's say you're not, not necessarily satisfied or they didn't follow the contract's terms. You still may be on the hook for some money because they did some work. Hmm. So there's, like, a lot of different you know, rules here that, 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 that are pretty stringent when it comes to protecting not just the government but also the contractor. Um, deployed, I felt like I had the freedom to be able to say, you know, even though I think that this thing – technically costs money, I feel like I can be, I can barter with the contractor to make this no cost. So like, that is what I made it like my sole job. Or I felt I had, I was on a mission to get as much out of the contractor as possible without having to pay anything extra. Mm. And I would, and I would say there were at times there were like, you know, they're, they're, they're building, no kidding buildings where, you know, we probably should be paying for that facility but somehow I was able to take a look at the contract language and make sure that that, that, that our um, that that we came out on top on that. And so I think it was not that I was getting something for free or taking advantage of that contractor, but I also knew that uh, we were spending a lot of money out there. We were spending a lot of money, you know, for uh, for services, particularly with you know certain contractors. And I wanted to make sure we were getting the U.S. government, taxpayers were getting every, you know, getting the value of it. Um, And I think it was very easy to just say, okay change order. Like, how much does it cost versus me going in there and saying, no, actually, you're going to put up these, you know, barriers around the base. You know, you're going to you're going to, you know, uh, install this this building, you're going to redo the wiring on this building so you know soldiers don't get electrocuted when they're trying to take a shower because you didn't ground the facility properly you should have did it you should have did that shit right the first time right but like these are just things that the conversation i could have there mm. a little bit more you know directly and get things done like that without cost versus here it it would be a little bit more of a dog and pony show
0: yeah no that's interesting because i mean at the end of the day a transaction really doesn't happen unless like there's both parties involved unless there's some sort of coercion, which would be, I'm sure that's completely out of the picture, but like, <laughs> if they wouldn't have carried it out, if they didn't think that there was some sort of, um, compensation already happening in terms of maybe correct economic right. stimulus in that area that wouldn't have been there if you weren't there.
1: And I had access to that data too. Right. So like yeah. I kind of knew what margins that they were working with. And so, but that's where like, you know, that, those, those, are, those, are, those, are, um, those things that they teach you at the Hill come into play. It's like, was there a manual that told me to, Hey, can you send me as much information as possible so I can dig into like what those margins are? Mm-hmm. Like, did I have to get sometimes creative and, and, and trying to understand and like maybe back, back into the numbers to to like actually compute the margins myself? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like just little things like that, that would give us a competitive edge. And again, not, not, I don't want this to sound adversarial. They were our partners out there, but at the same time, each entity exists to protect its interest, and so like we, you know, you you've got to be fair to your contractor. Absolutely, I would never do anything like take advantage of them. But at the same time, any information I could bring to a to a negotiation to gain some leverage, uh, to bring things to a more fair side of the, you know, uh, more middle ground, I'm going to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, completely agree. So, moving on to civilian side of uh, contracting, what pushed you? to do it in a civilian capacity versus in the military.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, um, I was thinking about it right after I left, uh, right after I got back from my second deployment to Afghanistan, I was working for the defense contract management agency. So, um, they're a, a small four letter where they've got in military folks working for them, but they're a predominantly civilian agency. So when I was assigned to this office here in the Denver area, I was one of maybe a handful of, 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 of uniform folks in the office. So I got translation is like, I got a a taste of what, you know, um, being a federal civilian could be like. And it was something at the time that I felt strongly about entertaining. And I wanted to introduce some, a little bit more stability into my life at the time. And I figured this would be a great way to just transition out of the military while still holding on to, you know, uh, the parts that I really liked, which were, you know, serving the warfighter, uh, uh, and, and still being in that department in the department of defense. Uh, so that's kind of what was uh, alluring about it.
0: Mm-hmm. What were the actual differences?
1: Um, well, number one, you get to do kind of what, you know, a little bit more what you want, right? Like, <laughs> I think one of the first things that I noticed was that I don't have, I didn't really miss- I, ne- I didn't need to give so much notice about my time off. Like in the military, it's like, you've got to plan that stuff. It's, it's very much like you can't just you know take it whenever you want kind mm. of thing. It, it's it's a little bit more organized as it should be, but now I felt like I could do it. I didn't have to tell anybody where I was going. Like it was all these things where it's like, yeah, that's you know that's civilian life. Like no one take your time off. Like no one cares what you do with it either. Mm. Um, just, yeah. So I think that was uh, you know a big difference. Um, and um, I felt the pay was a little different too. Um, I thought better the, the, or worse. The, I would say a little better, um, and I think a little more transparent and, and, and something that was a little bit more in my control. Uh, so like if I wanted to, you know, progress, um, I could take a promotion and I could do that on my own accord, right? Like versus in the military, you've got to do this rank for this long and then you'll get your look. Uh Um, In the civilian world, even in the federal government, it's not like that. You know, if you get if you've got the experience and you can communicate that in an interview, uh, 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 you've got an equal um, chance of getting that job. So it's not uncommon to see high ranking federal employees that are really young. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's not very common to see that in the military.
0: Yeah. No, I was actually speaking with um, when I went home for leave last period. Um, I, I just ran into this guy who happened to be, um, over at Hanscom, but he was a <laughs> civilian acquisitions officer. And I was just kind of picking his brain because acquisitions along with contracting is kind of what I'm looking to do. And damn, it was, uh, pretty intriguing. Uh, <laughs> he was just talking about, he's a like, you know, I do so much of what you know lieutenants do. I don't know. He's like a GS-13, GS-14, mm-hmm. maybe 26, 20, 25, 26 years old. I'm like, holy crap, making a bunch of money, going on TDYs all the time, but mm-hmm. not subject to a whole bunch of the control and, um, I don't know, requirements of being in the military. And I'm right. like, holy crap. I had no idea that all this existed. Uh I, 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 would, I would like to hear more about, you know, what the real differences are, maybe put them on paper, but it is, sure. it does really sound intriguing.
1: Yeah. And obviously we can always take that, you know, chat about more that more specifically, you know, offline. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there, I would say like in short, it's like in the military, you're a military member and a contracting officer. And as a civilian, you're just a contracting officer. And so there's less requirements, right? That take your personal time up. Like the, I mean, of course, we, you know, you always want to stay fit, but there's no like requirement to stay fit or
2: yeah.
1: to, to stay fit in, in, in the way that the Air Force maybe wants you to, um, uh, things like that. You know, thinking, you know, some of the things that, you know, the, this, uh, this guy told you about are true. Like, you know, if you, you, you get, you know, money for going on TDY, you get, uh, um, uh, what they would call comp time, or like uh, if you're traveling, they just give you that time back in time off to take later. So mm. it's like you're being compensated that way. You're you uh, a lot of times you're you're getting you, there's some positions that um that are overtime positions, so you can sit there and bill for for overtime. Um, so um, versus like in the Air Force, like if you, had a, you got an 18 hour day, like that's that's just the job, you know, yeah. and, and that's okay, but that's just that those are the those are those are pretty distinct differences
0: no it's interesting to note. hey real quick hope you're enjoying the episode if you are could you do me a favor and follow and leave a review on spotify or apple podcasts and also follow the show on instagram at four dot zoomies to see clips of upcoming episodes and stay engaged with the community thanks for your ongoing support Moving on, what are the, what are some of the biggest challenges and rewards that you faced in your time, um, both in contracting or after separation?
1: Yeah, um, some of the challenges in contracting I felt were like being very young in the field and being surrounded with a lot of folks that had a lot of tenure, and I think that's just going to be what all new officers have to deal with, right? Is like being, you know, a, a, a young in age and young in tenure. And having to work through the difficulties of that, uh, you know, in terms of uh, culturally and, and how you uh, you fit into a team that you're going into, um, there's a lot of dynamics there at play. Um, and so I think that was a challenge at first. Uh, I think valuing those around me and, and showcasing that I value them, uh, that was important, right? Like with enlisted, uh, senior enlisted, you know, uh, uh, also civilians, just letting people know like, hey, yeah, I'm... I have the rank, I have a rank, um, but you know, I don't have the experience. So like lend that to me and I can lend maybe, and maybe we can, we can have a good relationship where I can lend my authority to you mm-hmm. in, in, in that sense. Right. Um, and you can learn a lot from it. Uh, and then I would say, you know, the rewards are, are, are to me, uh, just being able to say it, you know, that you served, uh, I mean, for me, that will be something that i I always will feel strongly about. Um, that not only did I serve the air, you know, uh, my country during a time of of conflict, but I also deployed. Uh, and not not everyone has you know control over that, you know. Uh, so I don't want to make it seem like you know deploying is better than someone that doesn't deploy. Like I don't I don't really get into those the, the, those kind of semantics. Yeah. It's more of just like, but might, I do have personal satisfaction having mm. deployed at, to both of those regions. Uh, That is why I joined the Air Force is why I went to the Air Force Academy was to bring the fight, you know, so like, that felt satisfying. Um, I think leaving the military, you know, to talk challenges there. um, I think one of the things that they do not tell you um, is to take your time when you're choosing what's next. Um, At the Academy, it's like, go, go, go. Get stuff get stuff done. You know, there's a lot of type A personalities, and that's great until you have to until until the, the you know, you're presented with the dreaded R word, which you never get a chance to do at the Academy. You don't get very much chance to do it in the Air Force, particularly if you're you know serving during a time of, of, of high ops tempo. And that R word is reflect, man. And I don't think we are, we reflect enough. And I, that would be like if there was like one thing to take away from my talk today, I would say take every chance you can get to reflect on what you've done today, what you're doing this week, this month, this year, um, and make sure it's in keeping with how, how you want to live in terms of authenticity and living an authentic life. Because I don't think I can tell you that, you know, I, I believe the Air Force expects us to, you know, to do something to do that. they're not necessarily making sure you do Mm -hmm. and so it's incumbent upon us to take personal responsibility of that and and, but it shows when you when you leave the military and you're like i got to find a job i got to find a job and there's steps that you can take before that to prepare so that you have enough you know runway so to speak financially to to leave the military and take your time to develop what what do i want what does andrew want okay The Air Force got what they needed in terms of, you know, my investment in them and their investment in me. But now it's my turn to grow. It's my turn to think about what I want my life to look like from here. And I think that's something that was a challenge for me because no one really told me that. And it's something I had had to learn. And it's something I definitely try to impress upon transitioning veterans when when, when I have my chats with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even... I swear, I only reflect
0: two times a year and it's every time I go home, whether it's for Christmas or summer leave, I'm just like, holy crap, I finally have more than a week where I don't have anything going on and I can just, you know, sleep in late. I can yeah. sit on my roof and just look out at the woods and just think about what went right in the past six months, what went wrong, how I can move forward and fix things. I don't have that time at the academy. My, my brain's constantly, like you said, just mm. moving, moving, moving. What's next? So I completely agree with you. In that. I think it's an even more important part to do after you're kind of changing your life trajectory from spending a lot of your conscious life span, like 18 to however old you are, your adult life, only in the military setting that takes some time to reflect. Granted, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm speaking
2: yeah, hypothetically, <laughs>
0: but I've never done that before, but I can anticipate that when it's my time, I'm like, holy crap, w- w- how do I move forward?
1: Right. It's, I think there's a part of like, there's a mourning process that, that goes along with that too. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, because I can tell you, my dad did a career in the military. Um, I didn't know, I, I kind of felt like I was going to do the same thing. I can tell you that I didn't, I didn't go into the Academy or leave the Academy thinking I was going to do, you know, five and a half, six years and and leave. Um, But, you know, the Academy truly is um, a small example, a dichotomy of of life. Mm. Um, And, and and it changes constantly and you never, you know, what what happens one day will be different the next. And I think you just have to like, you know, it prepares you for that going into life. And so um, real life, I guess. And so, you know, when I made the decision to leave, you know, it, it, it was a mourning process of like, well, I spent, you know, a lot of time building this and now I'm, for lack of a better phrase, I'm kind of blowing it up. Right. Um, but little did I know that that was going to be something I was going to do quite often. Like I've blown up my career another time when mm-hmm. I left from federal government to tech. So, um, so yeah, definitely a challenge, but I would say the, the reward um, is, I feel living a more authentic life. I think in the military and the air force, you know, you, you have to be what your position requires of you. You know, when you become Lieutenant, you, you, Lieutenant, you are, you know, when I was Lieutenant Ortiz, I was Lieutenant Ortiz. and I was Captain Ortiz, I was Captain Ortiz. I couldn't be Eddie. Mm-hmm. could be, sometimes I could be a little bit of Eddie, but there was a lot of it that I, that, that my, that the office that our duties require of us because our country demands so much of us a, as expected. As expected. But mm-hmm. once you've done that time, it's like, okay, it's okay to then, you know, hang up the jersey, hang up the cleats, reti- you know, boom, I'm done. Now what do I want the next phase to look like?
0: Mm-hmm. So moving on from the military and contracting, you have been involved with big tech in, I guess, the past few years at um, Gusto and now Mosey. Mm-hmm. W- what does that look like?
1: Yeah. I would say um, there are a ton of similarities and, and also a ton of differences um, in terms of like what this industry is like, what it's like working in this industry, how I fit in. Um, you know, I would I would say um, in, in terms of like some of the similarities, I still feel like the 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 teams run fast. Um, there's a there there isn't there's um, a, a a focus on developing trust and rapport quickly um, and building, you know, and, and fostering psychologically safe atmosphere so that people can be vulnerable and bring and bring their whole selves so that you can understand what's going right, what's going, what, you know, what's potentially, you know, something that is an area of opportunity for that person. Because the quicker you can suss those things out and the quicker you can be honest about those, the quicker you can, you know, correct, tweak, and and, 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 um, and press on. And so I think, you know, that's, you do that at the Academy every day. You're going to do that in the Air Force every day. Um, I would say some of the differences um, are around the sense of urgency. So, and, and, and let me like, you know, say that sense of urgency deployed environment is very similar to sense of urgency in, um, at a startup every day, because there's so much at stake, you know, it's a for-profit entity. Mm. for the most part. And, uh, uh, and, you know, you've got shareholders, you've got a board of directors, there's expectations placed upon you, and you have to, you you have to get there. Um, and so I think when you're stateside in the Air Force, there's, a, I, I feel there, there was a little less of a sense of urgency. Uh, but I mean, and maybe that's my experience, particularly being in the federal procurement process. Like, you know, I can only move as fast as the process would let me, right? Mm-hmm. But, but in, in 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 tech, I'm encouraged to move fast and break things, um, be, because it's about pushing the envelope. And so, um, I, I'm. It's something that I think we, we did a lot. We do a lot at the academy, and I think we're encouraged to take risks there. Um, and it's a little less risky in the Air Force, and then it got it got it got back to being more of a like risk tolerant atmosphere in tech.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm assuming contracting and um, whatever your capacity is in big tech don't have a lot of carryover I'm sure in a leadership mm-hmm. sense that's where it carries over the most. but in terms of like a a real i guess hands-on skill set, what is it like transferring from 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 contracting to where you are now
1: yeah that's uh that was, that's a, great, a good great question um, it was completely different man. And it was uh, when I got my, my, my when I was able to finally uh, transition out of the federal government into tech. And that's a, probably a whole nother podcast on like the transition of going from military federal sector to making yourself uh, appealing to to tech firms. But when I when I made that change, it wasn't a completely different capacity. I, I wasn't using any of my contracting experience at all whatsoever. What I was using, though, in, uh, in in terms of like what I gained from my contracting experience was around uh, managing people and managing uh, operations. So like what I mean by that is um, like my role on a day to day basis now revolves around the needs of the business, of course. But like it mostly centers on ensuring the business is executing well. Like, do we have systems and processes um, in place to that, that, that help us continuously improve the delivery of, you know, our service to customers. Um, that's something that like we do, we, we learned from a critical thinking perspective at the Academy. You, you, you practice that every day. Mm. Um, and so, you know, at the most, at its most basic level, you know, we, regardless of your job in the air force, you learned how to stop the wheels from falling off the bus So everyone else can concentrate on the, on kind of the larger mission. Right. And so like, that's how I, that's how I felt like, that's what I felt like I was able to bring. I I, I think the air force gave me a lot of operations leadership, um, experience. So I kind of consider myself an operations leadership generalist. Um, and now to continue that like bus analogy, like it's really about keeping the bus running on time. Um, getting it, you know, uh, uh, getting it to run quicker, more efficiently, um, use less gas and put more people
2: on them. (laughs) Mm.
0: When you're going into an interview for a job that has nothing to do with your prior experience, what were your selling points?
1: Um, I think my, you know, so and that's where I think that our, our military experience, regardless of what your you know what what job you'll ev- you'll ever have, comes into play. Uh, and I, I guess I can only speak to to tech startups and Silicon Valley you know uh, um, specific uh, startups. They value people that know how to operate you know with a sense of urgency. They value people that feel comfortable in ever changing, fast paced, kinetic uh, environments. Um, they value uh, people that need very little context to dig in and make an impact. Um, and so we do all of those things, regardless of our jobs every day. That's what we're, that's how we're taught as, as to be as by nature, as air force officers. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like using that was, was, was pivotal in helping me advance through the interview stages. Cause there's multiple interviews and, you know, that's a skill that you're not necessarily, you're definitely not taught at the academy. You're certainly not taught it in in the air force. Um, and it's one that is super important because we're taught as air force officers, if you're a good one to be humble and to, and to lead with humility so much so that it becomes a fault. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, you've got to learn how to like, then take what you, you know, take the good things that you, you have done and, and, and package them in that way that, um, And translate it right so like it also requires you to do some research on who you're interviewing with what do they value like how do you bring incorporate their values into you know some of those things that we've talked about so that way you're speaking the same language as them
0: Mm. where do you see air force academy grads shining in um i guess the corporate america workforce or even you know where do you see us falling short
1: I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't see us falling short anywhere, and I'm not saying that to be boisterous, um, you know, about our, about our academy. Um, but it's, there's examples of this every day, right? I mean, the number one pick in the MLB draft last week <laughs> went to Air, to Air Force Academy. Okay. Shut up, Paul Schemes. Coach, yeah, you know, uh, Coach Popovich just signed the largest, most lucrative contra- contract for a head coach in NBA history. Okay. Mm-hmm. We've got movies made about dudes landing planes in the Hudson River. Okay, we shine fucking everywhere. Yeah, and so I think like I think there's uh, there's there's times where um, uh, grads that are serving now, grads that aren't serving, just need to be reminded um, of their pedigree, uh, 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 reminded of how much trust that was put into them and how much you know uh, was invested in them. Uh, and and, I, and I, it's something that I have to, you know, it's like those daily affirmations that I got to even make every day because it is, it, it's, it is, it is important to remember that. So, anyway, yeah, I, I see this shining in all areas and, I, and I'm not trying to be like cheeky about it. I'm really wanted to give those real life examples. Also shout out to Griffin Jacks. Who's crushing it with the, with the twins right now too. Mm. And I can go on uh, of grads, And of course that's just sports stuff. Like there's t- so many grads that are doing so many amazing things, um, in the business space, both in the, uh, uh you know, whether it's in a. Um, in, a, in a scalable business format, in a small business format, um, those the the um, the lessons that you learn at the academy in terms of uh, teamwork, you know, uh, uh, leading from the front, you know, h- analyzing complex situations quickly and 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 delivering results, those are those are transferable everywhere. Mm-hmm.
0: It's good to highlight. Sometimes because I, especially here at the Academy getting so cynical, the, I mean, the main audience is supposed to be cadets here and I know that population decently well as I live among them
2: 90%
0: of the year. And it does get sad at a large portion of the, of the year is a lot of, you know, dark ages, everyone not trying to go to class, everyone not happy to go to noon meal, but at the end of the day, like you said, I don't know if there's a direct correlation between going to new meal and being an extremely high performer, <laughs> but I, I do agree with what you're saying about, Hey, this place brings in good talent and makes it even better.
1: Yeah. And of course, like I, I definitely don't want to make it sound like just being so far for re- removed, removed from it that like, I don't remember those pains. Right. Like, mm-hmm. is there a, is there a direct correlation to, that one thing. No, but what, what you're doing every day is making a conscious choice to do something together and do it. Excellent. And if you do it, if you, and it, and like, you don't, you're not thinking about that at the time. Cause you're just thinking about it's cold and these gloves that I'm wearing, are, suck. <laughs> and, you know, um, but what you're doing is like, you're hardening and you're preparing yourself. Cause it's like, you, you know, you do it one day, maybe nothing comes from it. Um, but if you, if, you, if you choose excellence and you're choosing this path every day, imagine if you're getting, you know, if you're hardening yourself in that sense and learning how to, to, to be unfazed by, you know, external elements, if you will. Um, you know, if you're doing it for one day, you're not going to learn much. If you do it day over day, month over month, year over year, decade over decade, then excellence just becomes a part of your life. Mm. You are just excellent,
0: (laughs) and all we do, and that's it. (laughs) What do you miss most about the Air Force?
1: Um, I definitely miss. There is a piece of like camaraderie or a spirit of core, right? That that like is special, uh, in about the services, and like because of our mission, right? Like we are choosing to potentially put ourselves in harm's way and um, and do that with other people. And then also um, to make the ultimate sacrifice, you know, for another person uh, for, you know, yes, you can say for your country, but there's plenty of, you know, uh, amazing examples of, and and, uh, of folks who have given the ultimate sacrifice for their, their brother and sisters for their unit. Um, And so with that, like sacrifice and mindset comes this connection that, I mean, it, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, to say, I don't miss it every day, would be an absolute lie. Um, because like, ultimately we're doing something I'm doing, I'm able to, I'm building an amazing product here at Mosey. And I was able to build an amazing, help build amazing product at Gusto. And and, and that really, it really does impact lives. And I believe that. Um, but to, to you know, comparing those examples, or it's definitely there's a, a life and death element that's missing from it, and there's a certain special connection that comes from it that I certainly miss.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If you could give any advice to cadets that are looking to enter your career field, what would you what would you tell
2: them?
1: Um, don't get caught up on titles, like or ranks or. You know, I would say that that's the thing to, to not because I feel um, it's it's um, embedded in the culture in the Air Force. Uh, like a good example, you know, would be, oh, well, because I was a captain in the Air Force and I negotiated this, you know, helped negotiate this billion dollar contract. Um, I know what I'm doing. First of all, you can't throw that word billion around in the real business world. That's an actually that's a real big term. And and so you, you got to know your audience in that sense, but like it's also not the same. So you know the, you, you know you definitely see this in senior officers um, where it's like oh I was a CEO if I was if I was a squadron commander that means I was a COO or a CEO equivalent. You did an important job. Let's just keep it there. Like you did an incredible job as a squadron commander. You did an incredible job uh, as a wing commander, etc. Like yes, but to compare those things to you know a profit generating organization is, is just not the same. And I think and what ends up happening is you, you you know, I've seen um folks think that they know how to do those things and then try to put themselves in those situations and then they find themselves out of depth very quick.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so really it's just not falling prey to uh titles and rank and just looking at the job for what it is and seeing do I have the you know skills to be able to do that, you know, yes or no. And I think if we you know if grads can identify that quickly Um, then they'll, they'll rise wherever they go.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I think it's a good point to not only um, do it yourself in like an ego suppressing way, but -hmm. I think it's also, I've I've been doing a lot of research on authority recently and Mm -hmm. um, I think it's also interesting and a good point to, to reflect it on other people as well. I mean, I don't, I don't endorse going and undermining people, but figure out what the reality is of, is this a real authority figure or is this just, you know, a moral authority? What, what exactly are we working with here? And, um, what actually matters to the mission completion? Granted, you have all the perfect information.
1: Right. Right. And I I think what you'll see too is like the democratization of authority in the civilian workforce, like, or at least in tech, like I don't want all, the power i i want to and i think this is where the the heart of leadership the heart of what the air force academy teaches us is like to truly empower people you you have to give you have to, they have to feel like they have a stake in it and, and, and to feel like they have a stake in it they have to feel like they can do something about it that they can change something mm-hmm. um and that's where i think that's where the beautiful. that's where i think the beauty of this industry lies is like I'm encouraged to get, you know, to give away my Legos, if you will. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, build whatever you want, right? As long as it's, here's what we're trying to do. I trust, you. like, we'll check in, etc. But like, you know, I and I don't need all the credit. As a, as a matter of fact, like, I've always felt, especially here in the tech industry, it served me well to have, have you know, have the, the mindset of like making myself as obsolete as possible, you know, to the point where everyone feels like they can run things, without having to do the check-in all the time
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that reminds me of a part of you that read the book team of teams Mm -hmm. um when general McChrystal was talking about how you know it special operations were so fast-paced that they needed his authority to sign off on taking action on something and he might have been sleeping and it wasn't that he was mad about being woken up it was he was upset that you know we have critical people capable of critically thinking in a situation. I, who just woke up, have less context on this situation. I shouldn't be more qualified than the person who's been tracking, watching what's going on for the past hour and a half. So I completely say that from a a complete like self-efficacy way where, you know, getting rid of this red tape to really figure out what, what, enforces mission completeness um most right mm. yeah
1: yeah to- totally agree and i and i know that there's plenty of air force leadership that run their run their teams run their organizations that way so i don't want it to seem like i'm generalizing mm-hmm. i know that there's there's really great examples out there i do know that the culture in general though isn't it doesn't see it all like that though so i think it's important to know when it's in you know things need to be more directive and know when it's time to share, you know, time to, uh, to share your Legos.
0: Mm. I might take that for you. Share your Legos.
1: <laughs> well, sir, it's been,
0: it's been a really good time talking to you and, um, getting to learn a bit, little bit more about both military and civilian contracting. Um, I'll make sure if you, if you're okay with it, I can put in the show notes. If people are interested in reaching out and talking to you, whether Please. they're just cadets or grads, um, you yep. can get in contact with you.
1: Absolutely. Happy to help, you know, uh, any grad, um uh, you know, particularly around uh, finding out what what their why is and and like you know and again you know if there's one thing to take away from our chat today it's um take your time reflect uh, it's okay to un- you know to do that often while you're in the service so that way you're you are living you're living deliberately you are you know attaining these ranks authentically um, or outside of the service and you're and you're able to you know craft a life, um that is uh that is authentic to you um and you're able to beautify that life
0: Mm -hmm. thank you sir
1: you got it thank you for having me